welcome to Jubilee Church Teesside. Um, if you're looking in or new, then you are so welcome here. We are continuing our sermon series, Joy News, Life on the Frontline, rooted really in our God-propelled vision of bringing the joy news of Jesus to everyone, everywhere. As Julian Adams once prophesied over us some years ago now, the church is not an end in itself, but a platform to release the kingdom to a lost and dying world. So this week, what's our front line? Well, today I want to talk to you about remembering the poor, relieving poverty. One of our vision spotlights, if you remember. Three things that I want to share with you today. Firstly, the poor are important, so important to God. This is the place to start. For me, Isaiah 58 has always hammered this home to me in a jaw-dropping dialogue between God and his people. God says through the prophet Isaiah, Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet, Isaiah. Declare to the people their rebellion and sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? That's how this conversation with God starts. What's going on? Well, Essentially, the people are getting all grumpy with God. They were saying, look here, God, we are doing all the stuff that you want us to do. Day after day, we are seeking you out. Our worship is perfect. We are following as best we can the religious rules and regulations. Can't you see how good we are? So why are you not answering our prayers? Come on, God, pull your socks up. That's what's going on here. And God's response is pretty startling, pretty phenomenal, really. God says, yeah, you are worshipping, you are praying, you are fasting. But is that what you really think I primarily want? Is that what you really think seeking me out is all about? Because if you do, you are mistaken, seriously mistaken. Then God, sh- then God shocks them into silence. Let me tell you what fasting looks like, he says. Let me tell you what true sacrificial worship looks like. It's this, verse 6. To loose the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free, and break every yoke, to share your food with the hungry, and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Wow. Let that sink in for a while. Totally radical, I think. Sri Lankan Bible scholar Vinod Ramachandra describes this as scandalous justice. He writes, In virtually all the ancient cultures of the world, the power of the gods was channeled through and identified with the elites of society, the kings, the priests, and military captains, not the outcasts. To oppose the leaders of society then was to oppose the gods. But here in Israel's rival countercultural vision, it is not the high-ranking males, but the orphan, the widow, and the stranger 
with whom God, Yahweh, takes his stand. His power is exercised in history for their empowerment. The great revivalist theologian and preacher Jonathan Edwards was, very de- was a very detailed writer. He would agonize over every word. He didn't say things or write things without mulling them over for hours through scripture and prayer. He didn't exaggerate like I do. Bearing that in mind, this is what he wrote. Where have we any command in the Bible laid down in stronger terms and in a more peremptory, urgent manner than the command of giving to the poor? I bet you're thinking the same thing that I was thinking. What the heck does peremptory mean? Well, I had to look it up. Peremptory means beyond doubt, irrefutable, unquestionable, incontestable, leaving no opportunity for denial or refusal. There are literally hundreds and hundreds of places in the Bible saying this. Remembering the poor jubilee is not just a department in the church. It's central and it includes all of us, everybody, you and me. Got it? Next up, who are the poor? What does the Bible say? Well, first thing, poverty is an economic condition. To share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them. It's a condition of having little or no resources that the world around you values. For quite a number of years as a child, I lived in Bramble's Farm. And if you were a young kid growing up in that community, by the time you got to about 18, you had a pretty reasonable chance of not being able to read or write. You had a high chance of being part of a generationally broken family, using drugs regularly, odds on that you might have had dealings with the police or even ended up in jail. My parents had a shop there for around 20 years and I remember my dad used to go around with a basket following customers who would regularly steal stuff by shoving it into their pockets or bags. And in order not to embarrass them, he'd hand them a basket and say, why don't you put those things in here? It will be easier for you. I remember asking mum, why doesn't he just call the police? And mum said, if he did that, we'd have no customers at all. People have very little here. We mustn't take advantage of that, she said. My parents over the years spent so much time in other people's houses in that estate. Sometimes other mums would come in and say, will you have a chat with my son? He's getting out of hand. She'd give them money to pay for the heating that week. They they would often give out free food. She'd lift little two-year-olds from playing in the middle of a busy road and take them back home. And so by 20 years old, a lot of those guys would have nothing that the world valued as important, nothing that the world wanted, no marketable skills, no connections, nothing. And the world would finally just throw you away. And like me, you might respond to that by thinking, yeah, but they were irresponsible. They just threw what they had away. And the Bible does speak about that kind of irresponsibility when talking about poverty. 
but that way of viewing poverty is by far a minority conclusion when it comes to the Bible. In fact, the Bible says that's a very superficial way of looking at the situation. God sees the frequent irresponsible behavior in the poor primarily as a response to poverty rather than a cause of poverty. I know for many of you that's a hard pill to swallow, but it's such an important transition we have to make in our way of thinking about poverty and who the poor are. As Natalie Williams highlights in one of her books, that's the myth of the undeserving poor. That's the myth that helps us as Christians make excuses, avoid them, run away. Proverbs 10.15 says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. Proverbs 14.20 says, The poor are shunned even by their neighbor, neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Being poor and what that looks like and, the resu and results in us is an economic condition and we must respond to it with countercultural mercy, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. But secondly, being poor is a social condition too, resulting in exploitation, knowingly and unknowingly. To loose the chains of injustice, Isaiah says, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. There are really two major Hebrew words that are translated poor in the Old Testament. One refers to being needy, but the other major word is translated oppressed. Proverbs 3.23 says, A poor man's field may produce abundant food, but injustice sweeps it away. So not only do the poor have little that the world values, but anything they do have is often taken away because they're poor, because they're powerless, because they can't control their world. Oppression. And it can be stark or subtle. Let's start with subtle, shall we? Just say I was well off and owned a shop in posh Great Ayton. What would that probably look like? Well, I'd probably live there. I'd probably send my kids to school there. I'd probably engage with the community to a certain degree. I'd probably shop in other places there. In other words, in a wealthy neighborhood, I'd trade and give back to it in so many other ways too. If, however, I was a wealthy person and decided I saw a business opportunity of opening a shop in a poor area of town, Yes, my business would also probably flourish. However, I probably wouldn't live there. I probably wouldn't shop and school my kids there. It would be unlikely that my community of friends would be there. I wouldn't be going to the local toddlers groups or library if there was one. No, I'd do that elsewhere. I'd live elsewhere. And, and do you see what happens when that happens? As a result, I'm just taking out, taking out, taking out, and nothing goes back in. That's oppression. That's structural exploitation. That's often the way it is. It's subtle, but terribly damaging. But as you know, exploitation can be much more in your face than that. I worked for about three years in Stockton in a practice where all the patients and families had drug-related issues. Although I had worked in prison settings before, this experience really opened my eyes to the tragedy of being poor. 
the endless hurdles they have to jump over, the Everests that they have to perpetually climb and often fail. One lady who I will call Eva, on the first day I met her at the clinic, she was shouting and swearing in the waiting room, saying that she would never see a coloured doctor. Obviously, I'm using the word coloured, but she used other more forceful expletives, shall we say. I remember the rage and hatred in her voice. The reception team were appalled and ashamed at such behaviour in front of me. They threatened to throw her, throw her out, not to give her methadone that week and remove her from this lifeline of care. But I persuaded them not to do that. I persuaded them to try and understand why she was so bitter towards me, even though she'd never met me before. And as it turned out, this lady had been serially gang abused for about six years by a group of Asian men. They threatened to kill her foster child. They threatened to axe her mum, threatened to burn her house down. She was caught up in a devastating ring of prostitution. She was imprisoned without bars, held captive through oppression and exploitation. That's why we gave to charity, the charity a way out to help people like Eva. Bit by bit, Eva got back on her toes, though, with an amazing healthcare team that helped her. Most, however, haven't got the strength or the courage or the means to turn their situations around. Most of us only really see the surface chaos, the abusive language, the irresponsibility, the drugs and the terrible behaviour. And we tut, tut, tut and walk away, me included. Poverty is complex and goes deep and through generations. There is produce in the field of the poor, but injustice sweeps it away. Jesus said, depart from me to some of his believers. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. To which those people who thought their faith was alive and vibrant, who were often looking up at the sky and worshipping, they said, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? I don't remember that happening. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do, for one of those of the least of my brothers and sisters, you did not do for me. Yikes. Jesus is saying generous justice, a life poured out to others, especially the poor and the vulnerable, is the grand symptom of real faith, a growing real relationship with God. And if you don't have it, then you don't have me, says Jesus. You think you do, but you don't. Jubilee, this is not comfortable reading. Jesus is not a comfortable God. So remembering the poor is important to God. It's peremptory. Who are the poor? The poor are those who are economically and socially lacking. The oppressed, the marginalised, and often all the bad stuff you see in the lifestyle of the poor that distances you from them is primarily a response to poverty, not the cause of poverty. So, next question. What does justice 
and mercy look like? Well, the Bible summarises this as shalom. The Bible describes that God created this world to be brimming with dynamic, abundant, never lacking life, perfectly interwoven, interdependent, together enhancing and enriching with God as its life source at the very centre. That's what shalom means. Like when you see tapestries or beautiful garments, you see that they are made up of lots and lots of random threads interlaced, intertwined with one another, going over, going under, going around and through the others at thousands of points. And so it is with God's design for human relationships and all he creates is shalom. This shalom is a life of actively going to the places where the fabric is breaking down, where the weaker and the vulnerable members of society are falling through life and proximity in the margins. Those who are economically poor, those who are socially poor, the oppressed, the chaotic, where the interwovenness, where the interdependence isn't happening. And in amongst those situations, we are to be a people who take all the threads of our lives, our time, our money, our skills, our emotions, our compassion and our physical bodies and to plunge them deeply into the lives of other people through thousands of involvements, connections, threads over, under, around and through. Do you get it? As Indian church activist Jaya Kumar Christian says, movements of God are always born in the margins. Monuments and museums get built in the centre. If you choose the position of power, your language will not relate or resonate with the powerless. But choosing intentional powerlessness is always an unpopular choice. But you know this, popularity is not how we bring God's hope. Brian Stevenson, an American lawyer and social justice activist, especially for those waiting on death row rights, the kind of hope that creates a willingness to position oneself in a hopeless place and be a witness, that allows one to believe in a better future, even in the face of abusive power. That kind of hope makes one strong. Jubilee, God is calling us to live lives of intentional powerlessness and proximity. God is calling us to wake up to our frailty because only that will stop us from playing God in the margins. Jubilee, at best we are mere signposts, never a destination. We need God to break our heart for what breaks his. As David says in Psalm 39, to experience real grief and tears. As Jeremiah 20 phrases it, a burning in my bones. We must be outraged and knocked down to our knees when the church says by its actions to the poor that God has abandoned you, that God has forsaken you. Mahatma Gandhi, one of my heroes of Indian history, decided one day to go to church. He was a young lawyer in South Africa and when he got to the church in Natal, he was apparently barred from taking even a back seat in a whites-only church building. Gandhi suddenly confronted the great gulf between the Jesus of the Gospels and the Jesus who is often found in the church. 
In fact, later on, he went on to comment, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. He also went on to say if Christians would really live according to the teachings of Christ as found in the Bible, all of India would be Christian today. Gandhi then lived the rest of his life in the margins, a life of intentional powerlessness. Proverbs 29 says, The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. And when you do that, when you place yourself in the margins, when you weave your days today connections amongst the marginalised, you will realise that the poor are just like you. This was certainly my experience of talking week in, week out to inmates in home house prison. They weren't monsters. They weren't freaks. In fact, they were just like me. In fact, they were my own flesh and blood. Brothers, sisters, family. Jubilee Psalm 82 says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Not through guilt, but through grace. Not through condemnation, but through spirit-filled compassion. Not through reluctant obligation, but through joy Jet drenched justice.